Listen to this portion of God's story from the book of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it, the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of God and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This was the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Neil. And thanks so much to our worship team and our band. I'm not just about tripped over that step right there. <laughs> not very graceful. Um, so glad to be here today. Um, thrilled to be here, in fact. And if you've been with us over the past three weeks, well, actually, this is the third week in a series that we're doing through the book of Jonah. And you should know by now that Jonah was a prophet in the 8th century B.C., uh, he had an amazing life. I mean, everything that could be going well for Jonah was going well. He uh, had a bad spell of disobedience, a dramatic intervention, and then he had an opportunity to get things right with God. And that's where we pick up the story today. Uh, you know from last week that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a giant fish. Three days in the belly of a giant fish where he had the opportunity to think and pray. Which is what you do when you're swallowed by a giant fish. You think and pray. It's just one of those things you should know. One of those things you can pick up from the Bible. It's one of those tidbits. It's sort of like, you know, when you catch on fire. You know you're supposed to stop, drop, and roll, right? Uh, similar to that. Think and pray if you ever are swallowed by a large fish. Now, one of the things that we see in the story of Jonah that I think is really interesting and really amazing about the character of God is that he gives Jonah freedom. He gives Jonah free will. In fact, he gives all of us free will. He gives us the opportunity 
to choose our own path. And what's wonderful about being able to choose our own path is that it enables us to enter into a loving relationship with God. If we didn't have free will, we could never enter into a loving relationship with God. And if you, in fact, we couldn't enter into any kind of loving relationship. The beauty of a loving relationship is that we choose to love someone else and they choose to reciprocate. They could choose anyone else, but they choose by their own volition to love us. And that's what makes love beautiful. And so God extends this gift to us, this gift of free will. But there's a downside to free will, isn't there? See, with free will, we can choose to do things that are out of alignment with the will of God. We can choose to do things that are out of alignment with the will of God. And when we do, there are always consequences, right? Can you think of a time in your life when you chose to do something out of alignment, out of your own free will with God? It could be that you're in that season right now. Maybe God was asking you to do something that you really didn't want to do. Or maybe you didn't know God, or maybe you didn't really care what God thought or felt at that time in your life. But let me tell you something. The fact that you are here today tells me that God is not done with you yet. We serve a God of second chances, and he still has things for you. He still has a plan for you. Now, for Jonah, his free will enabled him to go it alone. He chose to run from God. He chose his own path for a season, but God intervenes. I can't help but imagine what it was like for Jonah to be in the belly of that great fish. Can you imagine what it must have felt like? I mean, he must have felt like, I really blew it. My life is over. And yet, miraculously, this giant fish spits Jonah out on dry land. And in that moment, Jonah realizes that God is giving him a second chance, an opportunity to make things right, an opportunity to do things again. Why is it so hard for us to admit when we're wrong? We just don't like to admit it when we're wrong or that we may not have all the answers or that we have the wisdom that we need in order to do what God has called us to do. And so we run, we hide, we, we take things into our own hands, and there are always consequences. Now, our story may not be as dramatic as Jonah's, but I bet that every day we have the same struggle, this tendency to run, this tendency to try and take things into our own hands. And sometimes it's disguised, it may be disguised in, in overworking. It, it might be disguised in the amount of time that we spend checking our devices. You know, I, I read a story, or not a story, but a, a study this past week. And Nielsen's audience report that was conducted last year that found most adults, most adults, not teenagers, most adults spend 10 hours a day consuming electronic media. 
Now, that sounds crazy, right? But think about it. You get up in the morning. What's the first thing you do? Check your phone. Then get in the shower, dry off, check your phone. Go down to breakfast, check your phone. You go to work all day. You're sitting in front of a monitor most of the day. You come home, get on social media, watch TV, all in front of a screen. And all of that adds up to close to 10 hours. And we may not realize it, but when we're doing those things, we're not really connecting with God. We're connecting with something else. We're, we're allowing something else to drive us, something else to, to be our guide, right? And we can hide in those things. And I think God is wanting us to come out of hiding, to embrace him. You see, the poor choices that we make uh, always come with ramifications. And when we find ourselves hidden or running from God, it's very difficult to, to hear his still small voice or to connect with him and to come back into alignment, to, to sense his love. The good news is that we're never, never so far away from God that we can't turn. And in that moment, God can find us and realign us with his path. In Jonah 3, 1 through 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Go to that great city, Nineveh. Proclaim the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. He went to Nineveh. Jonah repented, he obeyed God, and he preached to the very people that he had previously written off. He had written off as a lost cause. Remember, part of the reason why Jonah didn't want to go there is he didn't feel that the Assyrians were worthy of God's grace. He'd written them off. But when we come to faith, or we come to a place of repentance in our relationship with God after a, after a season of running or hiding, that transformation has ripple effect. And it doesn't just change our lives, it change the, changes the lives of everyone else around us. Think of the father who repents and decides to return to church after a long absence. And then he brings his kids. And those kids are influenced by what's happening there. And then they grow up, they have kids of their own. And their kids are influenced and it changes their life. The ripple effect, we, we just don't even realize what their ripple effect might be. Generations are blessed or cursed by the actions that we make today. Did you know that? Every decision that we make today either draws us closer to God or further away from God. So the decisions that we're making today will affect future generations. If we look in Exodus 20, 5 and 6, God says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin, for the sins of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Think about that. A thousand generations. Talk about God's favor. When we make a choice for God, when we choose to love him, when we choose to honor him, when we choose to obey him, God takes account of that, and he blesses not only us and our lives, but our future generations, a thousand generations based on our responsiveness to him. Now, another thing that we see in chapter 3, when we get to this story of Jonah, is that there's something powerful 
about the word of God. Something powerful about the word of God. It brings us into alignment with God's will. But how does that work? What is the will and the word of God? How do, we, how do we discern that? How did it come to Jonah, and how does he demonstrate that to us today? In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? It means that the words in the Bible are different from the words in any other book that we might read. The words in the Bible, when we read them, we're actually hearing from God himself. He is speaking through those words. So when we read a book like Jonah, it's not Jonah that we're listening to. It's God speaking through Jonah. Same with Paul, same with Isaiah, same with any of the books in the Bible. God is breathing his truth into those words so that he can impart something to you and me today. Many people feel that it is arrogant to assume that we can say our faith is any better than any other faith. People assume that we, because we are so small and insignificant, do not have access to the majesty of God to the extent that we could make any such assessment. And so they say, you know what, everybody does their own thing, everybody has their own path, you choose your path and whatever works for you is fine. Ultimately, what they're saying is God is unknowable, right? Unknowable. And there's a lot of illustrations or analogies that go along with this. One of them that I've heard is this one. Maybe you've heard this. It's the analogy of the ants on the back of an elephant. And the idea is that you're an ant and you're walking on the back of the elephant and the elephant is representing God. And you're trying to assess what is it that I'm on? What is this? that I'm experiencing right now, and you're making your assessments based on your vantage point. And everybody else, all the other ants, are making their assessments, but their, their assessments are very different from yours, and so ultimately, everyone just decides, you know, God is unknowable. But what if the elephant could speak? What if the elephant could speak in a way that the ants could understand? What if the elephant said to the ants, hey, let me tell you about my trunk. Let me tell you about my tusks. Let me tell you where I'm going and what I intend to do and how you fit into that picture. Well, if that were the case, that would be an entirely different thing, wouldn't it? And that's what the Bible says the scripture is doing on behalf of God. God is speaking into the words that we find in the Bible, breathing life into it, and we experience those things. We experience them. What's interesting is that when we read other books, we have authority over those books. Any other book that you read, you read with the intent of trying to assess what is it that the author is trying to say to me. And you reserve the right, as you should, to assess whether or not what he or she is saying is true or how it applies to your life, right? You have authority, and that's good. Now, I'll admit that there are times that when I read certain authors, especially certain Christian authors that I really admire, 
I find it very difficult to critique their work. You know, I don't want to question anything that they're saying because I so admire them. Have you ever experienced that with an author that you really like? One time I was um, doing a devotional with Elizabeth, and we were doing uh, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. We were doing it in the mornings every day at breakfast time. And we weren't doing it together. She was doing it, and then she would pass the book off to me uh, because we, you know, we are trying to jockey a lot of different things in the morning. And one of the things about Elizabeth, my wife, is that whenever she reads anything, she underlines certain bits, and then she writes commentary in the margins. And I love the fact that she does that because every time I pick up a book after her, and I read it, I get to experience not only what the author feels, but everything that she thinks about that book and what the author is saying. So it's kind of a blessing. So I sit down at breakfast time. I take the Oswald Chambers book. I open it up to the page uh, that we're on, and I read. And I see that in the section that Oswald had written, Elizabeth had underlined a big section of what he had said that morning. And next to it, in giant bold print, she wrote, I disagree. Exclamation point, exclamation point. I disagree. And initially, I was appalled. I mean, I literally was like, blasphemy. <laughs> I mean, how could anyone <laughs> disagree with the great Oswald Chambers? I mean, I was literally like, where is she? I need to, I need to confront her about this. Yeah. And, and, and then I thought, well, wait, before I do that, let me just read this over and over again. So I read the passage three or four times. And as I was reading it, I realized she was right. She was right. Oswald is an amazingly inspired, awesome, incredible author who has been used by God in powerful ways, but he's just a man. And what he writes is not the Bible. One of the things that my seminary professor said that one of the dangers of commentaries is, especially when they're written in the bottom part of our Bible, the little tiny print at the bottom from commentators, we believe that's part of the Bible. And it's not. It's someone's opinion on what God has written. And so we need to be very careful about that. Now, that's not to say that when we read the Bible, we check our minds at the door. We don't. We need to grapple with Scripture. We need to grapple. And if you look through Scripture, one of the things you'll find is there are hard sayings all throughout. Things that you'll be like, what? I do not get this. I do not like this. I'm struggling with this. And you keep reading over it, over it. And you try and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to give you insight and wisdom into what it is that, that he's trying to say. Years ago, I was part of a ministry called The Haven. And I met a guy there who was going to Union Theological Seminary at the same time that I was going to Alliance Theological Seminary. And as we were talking about the, the Pauline epistles... We just got into a conversation about that. And he said, oh, you know what? I've dismissed everything that Paul has written. Because I don't like his positions on uh, homosexuality. I don't like his positions on slavery. I don't like his positions about women in ministry. And because of that, I'm not going to consider anything that he has to say. So when I read my Bible, whenever I get to anything written by Paul, I just skip past it. And I said, but you can't do that. You cannot do that because what you are doing is you're putting yourself in authority over the word of God. And you cannot critique scripture. Scripture needs to critique you. 
And so we had this ongoing dialogue. But the living, breathing word of God speaks to us. And even though we struggle with it, the design of Scripture is to move us from where we are, to enhance our understanding, to challenge us, to equip us. And sometimes that's hard, right? That's hard. In verse 4, it says, On the first day, Jonah started into the city, and he proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Pretty straightforward message. What this gives us is an incredible example of how God changes people through his word. Nothing really fancy about this message that Jonah is laying out. Now, I'm sure that the people of Nineveh were consumed with their daily routines in the same way that we are consumed with our daily routine. You're getting your kids ready for, for school. You're getting ready for work. You're doing errands. Suddenly, this guy walks into town, and he says, I'm a prophet. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned if you don't repent. What do you do with that? Well, they believed him. They believed him. You see, when we hear the word of God, it should challenge us to assess how we are doing. How are we aligning with God right now? It should challenge us to recognize the desperate state of our lives and want to move from where we are to where we know we need to be. Because we're all somewhere on this spectrum, and many of us are a little further away from God than we'd really like to be, if we're honest, right? I know that's true of me. Jonah was saying, listen, whatever you're doing now, let me just tell you, judgment is coming. You think you can run from God, and you can for a while. But there will come a day when you will stand before God and be held accountable for everything. And let me tell you, that day is coming sooner than you think. That's what he's telling the Ninevites, and they believe him. Now, I'm sure that not only the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit played a part in turning the hearts of the Ninevites, but also Jonah's testimony. Think about where Jonah has been, okay? He didn't want to go there. He ran from there. God chases after him. He's involved in the storm. He's cast overboard. He's swallowed by a fish. He's spit out on dry land. Now he's making his way back. Can you imagine his attitude? Or even how he looked at that point? <laughs> I'm sure his testimony was very convicting. Listen, I did not want to come here. The last place on earth that I want to be is here in Nineveh talking to you. I did not want to come here. I ran the opposite direction. God pursued me. I was swallowed by a fish. God allowed that fish to spit me out on dry land. I walked all the way here, and I'm telling you again, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Okay, somehow they got it. They recognize this guy has some credibility. 
God uses our failures. He uses everything. Nothing ever goes to waste with God. I love that about him. Every wrong decision, every wrong move, God will turn it, work it into our testimony, and give us credibility and depth that we didn't have before. He'll make us more effective. He'll do the same thing with our heart for those that are lost. He will make our words come alive to those that are so far away that we've written them off. Just like Jonah did the Ninevites. Several years ago, I I had the opportunity to go to my 20th high school reunion. And when you go to your 10th reunion, you know, the, the idea there is to prove how much you've accomplished, right? You go there, you dress up. You, you rent a nice car, maybe, <laughs> show up in a helicopter, whatever you can do. You know, you want to look good. The 20th year, you know, you're, just, you're glad most people are still there, and you're glad you still have a job. And everybody's, everybody's good. You talk about your family and your kids. It's fine. The third, 30th, I say, at least my mom told me, that you're just happy everybody's still alive, right? <laughs> but on the 20th, I go there, and a lot had happened in my life. You know, I'm, I'm now a pastor, and when I was in high school, you know, that really wasn't a big part of my lifestyle. And a lot of the friends that I had were pretty wild and far out. And there was a guy in my class by the name of Justin who's that guy, the one guy in your class that you were sure wouldn't make it five years. They would probably die because of their lifestyle, right? Do you know that person from your school? you're thinking of them, that was Justin. And he was just so far away from God, I was sure he would never have any interest. And at the 20th reunion, we had this party the first night, and it was at uh, this sports bar called Jackson's, which is my hometown's version of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's really, it's just a it's just an incredible place. I mean, you go there and there's just stuff flying everywhere. People are crazy. And that's where they wanted to have the party. And so I show up. I took a deep breath. I walked through the door. And I walk up to the bar. And who should be standing at the bar? Justin. And right away, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be great. Because the first thing that he's going to ask me is what I'm doing. What do I do? What am I doing with my life? And I'm going to have to share with him that I'm a pastor. And that, I, and so I was kind of preparing myself for that. And Justin immediately said, hey, James, how's it going? You know, and I said, great, Justin, what's been going on? And he said, you know, I've been meaning to reach out to you. And I said, you were? And he said, yeah, you know, I, I came to faith in Jesus a couple years ago. And my life has just been so dramatically changed. I have this construction company. I changed the name of the construction company to Born Again Construction. I mean, everything in my life has been changed. Everything has been changed. I am a totally different person. And I remembered that you used to, you know, talk about, you know, well, I knew that you were a person of faith, even though you were kind of wild. You, you still believed it, you know, and I just thought, you know, you were someone that I could talk with about that. And I thought, wow, I never would have shared my faith with him. Never. Because I just would have assumed that he never would have listened. That he never would have expressed any interest at all. And yet somebody shared with him and he made a dramatic conversion. 
After Jonah shared the word with the Ninevites, they believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. They knew that God was speaking through Jonah, and they believed. In Romans 10, 17, it says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So there's something about the word of God that has power to change us. The power of the Holy Spirit changes the heart of the people who had previously not been interested. We see the same thing happening in Acts chapter 2. Remember in Acts chapter 2, the tongues of fire and everything that's happening? And then Peter gets up and he starts preaching. Remember? And it says that Peter was filled with the Spirit, and then he gives this message. Well, as a pastor, you know, you want to look at that message and say, you know, what did Peter do while being filled with the Spirit? What did he say that was so incredible? Well, when you read his message, you realize anybody could give that message. If you understood the basics of the gospel, you could easily have shared that same message that Peter did. There was nothing really incredibly profound about it, and yet it says that those who accepted his message, this is in Acts 2.41, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine 3,000 people suddenly being so convicted and inspired by your message? that they want to come into a saving relationship with God. It had nothing to do with Peter's eloquence. It had everything to do with the power of God's word and the presence of the Spirit upon him, speaking through those words into the hearts of those who are listening. And we also learn something about repentance when we think about how the Ninevites responded to this word. They, they took off, the king took off his robe, which is a sign that he's laying down his authority in submission to God. They put on ashes and sackcloth, which is a way of showing how humble you are, how, how, how you really want God to forgive you. You're entering into it wholeheartedly. They even, they even had sackcloth and ashes put on their animals and, and, and forced them to fast. I mean, the animals were probably like, what did we do? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, but they just wanted everybody to be in this together. They were all in. And, and God was responsive. In verse 10, it says, Then God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, and he relented and did not bring destruction upon them as he had threatened. Remember, the Assyrians were the most wicked people on the face of the earth at that time. They were so incredibly wicked, and yet God shows compassion. It shows how far God can reach to reach those furthest out, to extend his grace. And when they're responsive, he's immediately willing and able and excited to forgive what this tells us is that God forgives a contrite heart. He forgives a contrite heart. If you are feeling far from God, or if you're thinking about some things that you did, maybe, you know, because I did X, Y, and Z, or A, B, and C, there's no way that God can reach me. 
you should think about this passage, about how far God is willing to reach to extend his grace. We serve a God of second chances. And, and that's what's so amazing about our God. No matter how many times you blow it, he's so willing to forgive, so, so willing to embrace you when the moment you turn. Jonah had a chance to do it right the second time, and he did. And likewise, all of Nineveh had the chance to turn from what they were doing and to realign themselves with God. And we have the opportunity to lay down anything that's keeping us from God. It could be our selfishness. It could be a number of things. But God's saying, come on. I've got amazing things planned for you. Realign your heart with mine. And here's the thing. When we stop running from God and we start running with God, some really amazing things are going to start happening in your life. Your burdens are going to become more bearable. Everything that's weighing on your shoulders, they're going to become a lot more bearable. Your problems, they're going to be solvable. You're going to look at problems and you're going to be like, you know what, God's got this. God has this. Your relationships are going to be so much more enjoyable. Your homes more livable. Your trials surmountable. Your faith inexhaustible. Those are just some of the things that will come with aligning yourself with God. The Lord says to you today, he says, listen, I know you. I know all about you. I know everything you've done. I know all the challenges that you faced. I know where you're going. And I have plans for you. And while you may have had seasons where you've been running from me, maybe you're running from me now, I'm here for you. And when you turn to me, I'm going to realign you with my plan for your life, which is so much greater than anything that you thought you could figure out on your own. It's going to be amazing. And not only are you going to be impacted, but generations of people are going to be impacted by the things I do in and through you. A thousand generations for those who love the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for extending your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you are unwilling to let go of us even when we fall short, even when we hide, even when we run. You pursue us in the same way you did, Jonah. Because there's more. There's more for us. And just like the parable of the lost sheep, you would be willing to leave the 99 to go looking for that one lost sheep, pick that lost sheep up and carry it back to safety. Lord, some of us here today need to be picked up. We've been wandering for a long time, lost and alone, feeling discouraged. Maybe we don't even know why or how we got to where we are. But you're looking for us, Lord. And you're willing to pick us up and bring us home. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to move to a time of communion now. And 
one of the things that is significant about this is that what Jesus did for us on the cross really enables us to stop running. It enables us to embrace the kind of forgiveness that God is extending to all of us. No matter what we've done, there's nothing that we could have done that would keep us from the love of God in Christ. You can think about the things that you've done and you could say, but you know what, I'm the exception. If God really knew my heart, if anyone knew my heart, they would know that I am certainly not worthy. But you forget that God's not looking at your brokenness. He's looking at God, at the perfection of Jesus. It's as if there's a veil and Jesus is standing in front of your brokenness. And when God looks at you, what he sees is Jesus. And he sees perfection. And he says, I will accept you wholeheartedly because of what Christ has done for you. And when we come to the table, that's what we're celebrating. When we take the bread and we eat it, Jesus said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And they took it and they ate. And the same is true with the wine, in our case, juice. He said, this is my blood poured out as a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink. And they took it and they drank. Here at Trinity, we have four stations. We have two in the front and two in the back. And I would encourage you, don't come alone. When you come to celebrate, celebrate together because we're kind of, we're celebrating eternity. And when you think about what heaven is going to be like, we're going to be together in a celebration that lasts for all eternity. And we can begin that celebration now with the brothers and sisters who love the Lord that are standing around us now. And so when you're ready, come. Look at the people next to you and say, all eternity. This is going to be one rockin' party. All right? Come when you're ready.